Father, this evening, yes, Lord, build your throne in our praises and build your throne in our hearts. That's our prayer. Sang, O oh Lord, that you are above all. Let it be true in our lives. Father, even as we meditate upon your word this evening, speak to our hearts. We humble ourselves and we just acknowledge, O oh Lord, that without you we can do nothing. Without the power of your word, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Father, we are just nothing. This evening, therefore, I pray that you would quicken us by your spirit, wash us by the water of your word. Lord, even as the word comes forth, whatever is of God, let it stand and let it bear fruit. Let it find soil which is and ground which is soft, good and honest hearts, as your scripture says, so that it will bear fruit even a hundredfold, O oh Lord. To that end, I pray that you would bless and anoint, O oh Lord, the speaking and the hearing of this word. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, just continue to study the word. And uh, one of the verses that I've been looking at is faithfulness and faith. And we've been looking at that series over and over again in our church. And I'm going to look at one particular verse from the Bible and I'll read that and then we will go to the meat of today's message. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 onwards. It says, therefore we do not lose heart. Anybody losing heart this evening in the house of God? I know it's very important because you see, we heard that, right? God sent his son, we call him Jesus. He came to love, heal and forgive. Because he lives, we can, we can face tomorrow. You believe that? Because he lives, all fear is gone. That he holds your future. Life is worth the living. <laughs> okay, do you believe that? We'll see. We'll see, no? Sometimes when we sing those songs, we need to really ask ourselves this question, Donald, do I really believe that? Life is worth. Therefore, we do not lose heart. I'm sure many of us are going through difficulties and trials, and some of us going through the trial of our lives. We, don't, don't, we can't even speak to the others, and outwardly everything might looks, look very good, but we know the struggle that we are facing. So, therefore, do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Of course, it's momentary, right? What is man? That is, It's just like a breath, a vapor, 80 years that we can possibly live if God wills in our lives. It's in the light of eternity is nothing. It's a moment. And the tests and trials that you go through during that lifetime is also, I mean, if your life itself is a moment and the tests and trials that you're going is less than a moment for me, is working for us, those light afflictions is working for us far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How can we have that assurance is the question, right? 
Do you believe that the light afflictions that you're going through are working out for you an eternal weight of glory? Do you believe that? How can we have that assurance? And Paul doesn't stop here. He goes on and he writes several chapters after this as well. How do we have the assurance? While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Look. So what is the whole idea of this particular verse? I mean, verse 18, it says, what should we look at? We should look at things that we cannot see. How do we do that? And when we look at the things which we cannot see, we, our eyes are focused not on the temporal, but on the eternal. You see that? Look, see the eternal. And of course, Paul does not stop here. And he says, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Just look at this previous slide. Look. What is that word, look? Very interesting word. The word look comes from the Greek word skopeo. From which we get the word scopic. From which we get the word telescopic. He's saying, have a telescopic vision. Okay, scopeo. And of course the root word is uh, scopos. And which occurs only once in the entire New Testament. And it's actually called Mark. And look at the very interesting passage from which this word scopos comes from. This is found in Philippians chapter 3 verse 14. I press toward the scopos for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see that? What we as believers need is scopic vision. Telescopic. That we can see. We have the eyes and the sharpness to see in the distance. Mark, prize, prize that is there, high calling. You know, I can't help but think, you know, when you see the Bible, I can't help but think sometimes movies, okay. I mean, I, and it's because I've, my database is full of, my hard drive is full of movies, you know. And especially some of the interesting directors, I mean, they have some interesting dialogues, okay. So you have this dialogue between uh, uh, will, uh, two guys in a in a, in a, movie, in a movie. I don't want to mention the name of the movie uh, because I don't want you to judge me based upon what I saw. Okay. <laughs> okay. So so, uh, um, but of course, some of you will definitely because your database is also as equal as equally good as mine. Uh, there's an interesting dialogue between uh, two characters in the movie. Okay. And then there's one guy he wants to take up this uh, business proposal, and the other guy says. You know, exercise caution. And it's a very interesting dialogue in Hindi, okay? He says, Silver money, kitne bar kaha tujhe? Nazdi ki fayda dekne se pehle dur ki nuksan ke baare mein sochna chahiye. You know the movie? <laughs> you don't know, thank God. <laughs> okay, if you know the movie. Nazdi ki fayda dekne se pehle dur ki nuksan ke baare mein socho. Before you consider the temporal gains, 
look at the eternal losses that your decisions have could cause. If you are not able to do that, then you are not scopic, you are myopic. From which we got the word myopia. Some of you suffer from, especially my wife, she's got soda buddy. Very powerful lenses. What does it mean? You only can see this far, you can't see things beyond a particular distance. You see? And and Peter actually tells the characters characteristics of those pe- people who are actually myopic, and this, this is exactly the word he uses, myopazo, which we, which we get the word myopic in the Greek, and it's found in Second Peter chapter one, verses five onwards. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. My God, do you think Christian life is straightforward? Nowhere. And he says, for if these things are yours and if they abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is what? Myopazo, myopic, short-sighted. Even to blindness. My God, you can, it can lead you to blindness as well. Even to blindness and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his old sins. That is the reason why I titled today's message, Become Scopic, Not Myopic. Grace Tabernacle Church, on the 1st of August, 2018. Okay, Hyderabad. <laughs> Become Scopic and Not Myopic. And this is essentially what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. No, uh, remember that song? Alas, uh, uh, I think it is well with my soul. Lord, hasten the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. He says, let my faith become sight, O Lord. That is the prayer of every saint. Who's gone before us. Lord, let my faith become the instrument through which I'm looking and not my immediate circumstances or situations that I'm going through. Hmm? So, this faith, if you want to really, really sharpen your scope uh, so that it'll become like a Hubble that you can see far. I mean, that's the beauty of Hubble, right? You can see galaxies far beyond. That is in terms of distance, of course. We don't know when Christ is going to come. Can God show us? I mean, it's very interesting, right? It says in Amos chapter 3, it says, The Lord will do nothing before he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And he tells Abraham, he says, Can I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do to, 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 to Sodom and Gomorrah, knowing that Abraham is going to become a mighty nation, that he's going to command his children after him, etc., etc., etc. So God is willing to show us Only if we walk a certain way and allow God to sharpen our scope. This title could be easily The Choices of Faith versus Choices of Sight. That could be a subtitle. Because faith has choices, my dear brothers and sisters. 
So let us look at that. No, So how do I sharpen this vision, scope in my life? Hebrews chapter 11, it's the passage which we looked on Sunday. Second message on this passage. Found in verses 24 onwards. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season, of course. And the verse goes on. By faith, Moses chose. So faith has choosing. Got that, everybody? Faith asks you to make certain choices. Okay. Suppose you have oh. No, Famous line from from Forrest Gump. Life is like a bunch of chocolates. You do not know what you get. <laughs> well, God says, choose your chocolates carefully. Okay. For example, when you have a bunch of chocolates given to you, choose the ones which are sugar-free. Okay. So it's, it's, it's like this. It's like this, no? When you are, for example, let's say you have a bunch of, uh, of uh, chocolates given to you. I mean, chocolates or whatever. Or maybe a, a few red balls given to you or a few balls given to you. A bunch of balls. And they ask you to make a choice. Pick four out of 15. Or let's say 20. So you pick four. One of the ways of choosing four is to look at those things. One, two, three, four. That's a choice. Another way of choosing the four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, up till sixteen. Reject and choose the four. You can choose either by process of elimination or the process of choice. Therefore, faith has choices and also faith has something which you refuse. No, we have this famous... Formula in combinatorics and CR is equal to NC and minus R. Oh, my dad says, ah, ha, ha. I hope Vilas says, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> okay. So the way you choose R things out of N things is a way, is the same as choosing N minus R or rejecting N minus R things, whatever. Okay. So you have mathematical statements in the Bible. So I get excited when you see mathematical statements. Okay. By faith, you make choices. And when you make choices, you are also by faith refusing some choices. And both are a part of faith. But how do you make these choices? Romans chapter 10 verse 17 will say, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in other words, I make choices. Making choices based on God's word so that our vision is not myopic but scopic. That is what I want to do. I want to make choices based upon God's word. Okay, so that my vision becomes sharp. I'll be able to see into the future. See, sometimes, you know something, when, when I see certain people and the choices that they're making, I'm not a prophet, but I have data points. Like James Stewart says, I have sufficient data points, I can easily extrapolate where they are going. Okay. You make certain choices in your past, I can see, and your current interests based upon your past choices and your current interests. I can easily predict without any problems, without being a prophet, having vision like Samuel the seer. I can see 
Because I have patterns in the Bible. So what we should do in order to make choices, what is, okay, I need to know the word of God, of course. The faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, so what in the word of God I should know is also important. I'm going to use a one specific principle in order for me to, sh- to have a scopic vision. Okay, um, several things that you can do, but one thing, one principle which God was speaking to my heart through the week, when, even as I was studying and listening to several sermons online and particularly one interview I was listening to was phenomenal, phenomenal. And this is what it, what I was studying. You know, as pastor said, if you steal another man's ideas, it's plagiarism. But if you steal several ideas, it is research. Okay. So I did my research. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I read that, I couldn't stop laughing. It's so true because we researchers take pride. We have novelty nonsense. Uh, okay. So uh, there is nothing new under the sun. Okay. Okay. So Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 7, look at what it says in the Bible. I'm looking, I'm using one particular principle in order to ensure my vision becomes scopic. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7. Remember those who have rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Look at that carefully. Another, another, another translation. This is the NKJV. Look at what it says, the ESV. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You got that? Okay, so there's faith here, both here. Oh, uh, It doesn't have myoscopic vision. Okay, so, so uh, faith is here and faith is here. But what are we supposed to consider Sorry. Consider the outcome of their conduct. KJV uses the word conversation. Consider the outcome of their way of life. What is this word? Consider. It's very interesting. Consider the outcome. Anatheoreo. Which means theorize, study what they are doing. Make an analysis of the choices that they made and the lives that they lived and the end result of their lives. And therefore, the end result of their choices. Consider. So, I'm using one principle here. Okay, one one principle. The principle I'm using is this. I'm using the principle of conducting or considering the outcome of conduct, whether people of faith or no faith. That is what I'm looking at. I'm just, just using one principle. Why am I using this principle? Fools never learn from their mistakes. Normal people learn from their mistakes. Wise learn from others' mistakes. How many of you want to be fools? None. How many of you want to be normal? None. You want to be wise? Sure. How much life can you live? 80. You know what God says? Oh, I was actually listening to this interview, okay? And this man of God is saying, you know, read biographies. Because you can only live one life. But when you read biographies, you can live 70 years and 15 days. You don't have to wait till you get your midlife crisis. You don't have to go till the age time that you're you're 50. Okay. You don't have to wait till you're teenagers. Some of you, less than 12. 
I, I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching the song uh, to my children in the in the in the school. Uh, years I uh, what is it? I, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me He died at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. Now my burden soul found liberty at Calvary. And I was looking at I'm teaching Joanne, I'm teaching Aman, and I'm teaching Abigail. Year, they're singing years I spent in vanity and pride. I'm like, my God, is this relevant to them? Years I spent in vanity and pride. And then they're singing. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I actually, and I looked at that and I said, one verse came to my mind, First Peter chapter 4. The time that you spent is sufficient for you to live in all kinds of sensual pleasures, etc., 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 but spend the rest of the time not for pleasures, but for the will of God. And I was looking at them, I said, you know what? They've actually spent sufficient time. They don't have to. I can tell my experiences from my life and the choices that I made, I can tell them and I can share with them. And I say, you know what? These are the stupid decisions that I made. Don't make those stupid decisions. Otherwise, you lose life. You can live my life in the short span that you have. Don't become like RGV. Somebody said, no. Sir, did you ever learn from your mistakes in your movies? He says, you can never learn from mistakes. Because you will always make new mistakes. This is nonsense. You, you, see, this is what we call fools. See, you don't have to wait till you make mistakes. Learn from others. Consider the choices that they have made, the outcome of their conduct and be wise. That is what Paul tells Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 to 17. He says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned. From whom did you learn? From your mother, okay, who married a Greek. Okay, so you also don't go and marry a Greek. Okay, don't say I will also make the mistakes of my... Nonsense, okay. She taught you. And then he says, and from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, boys, I'm t- I mean, boys and girls, men and ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, okay. It's like friends, countrymen, etc. <laughs> you need to make some choices. Choices based upon, based upon decisions. So what we'll do is, we don't have to read biographies. The Bible itself is full of biographies. Right from the beginning, we'll look at people who made choices. When they made choices, what did they reject? That also we'll see. And because of what they chose and what they rejected, what is the outcome of their conduct and the way of life where they're heading? And where they're causing others to be led to. That is also important. Because your life is not going to stop here. Because the choices that you make will also affect your future. Your your children and the people in your your home, etc. Your church, etc. So we look at the first choice made. Who made the first choice? Interesting, it was not Adam, but Madam Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Look at what it says. So, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and tree desirable to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her 
and he hate. So both made choices. One deceived into cho- making a choice. One making a choice knowing very well what he was ma- what he was getting himself into. So both made choices. So what did they choose and what did they reject? They chose the tree of knowledge and they refused the tree of life. Understand that? Okay. So you, you can't have it both ways. You can't have choosing from knowledge and then also choosing from life. It can't happen. That's exactly what Jesus, you know, what God said. The moment they made a choice to make, to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you know what said? God said, you can't eat from the tree of life. Finished. Over. Cherubim, stopping it. You cannot. You see, you cannot serve God and mammon. So, let us try to look at even more deeply as to what were the choices that they were making and what were the characteristics of those choices, okay? And that, and that is amplified for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul talks about it from verse 3 onwards. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 onwards. But I fear, lest somehow as serpent deceived ye by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he... For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you have received another spirit, or a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Another Christ, a different spirit, a different gospel. So when Eve was making a choice, all these things are there in that. So first lesson I learn from the choice that she made is this. Every decision, however simple or innocent it might seem to the natural, is a spiritual decision. You need to understand that. Every decision, however simple or innocent it might seem, it is a spiritual decision. Because when she chose from the tree of knowledge, she rejected the spirit of God and she accepted the spirit of the world. So you cannot have it both ways as, as children of God. It's a spiritual decision. Okay, so, so actually, your spiritual condition is a sum total of all the decisions which are actually spiritual. So you will know exactly where you are in your walk with the Lord based upon all the decisions that you've made in the past and you gauge them where they were spiritual decisions. Yes, they were, they were. And did you choose the spirit of the world or did you choose the spirit of Christ? That's a question. So you'll see that 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 20 and 22. This is what Paul will say in um, uh, 1 Corinthians. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. You see that? And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake. It's like without faith it is impossible to please God. Those who live according to the flesh cannot Please God, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So first thing that we learn is every decision is a spiritual decision. Second, every decision, however simple or innocent it might seem to the natural, is a decision over lordship. Another spirit, another Jesus. 
You see that? And that's found in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. Look at what it says. Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, <laughs> you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which, le- which leads to righteousness. And of course, we know that righteous, uh, the just or the righteous shall live by what? By faith. Okay. And therefore it says, it goes on and says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching to which you are committed. You see that? And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. You are either slave of sin, and then what happens? And verse verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's saying, don't get upset when I'm using this master-slave analogy. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What does it tell me? We are slaves either of sin or of the of Jesus Christ. Either sin is our master or Jesus is our master. That is the second lesson that I learned. The third lesson. Every decision or choice has to be biblical and need not be logical. You don't understand. Your logic and your reasoning might might say this is the perfect decision that to, to make. Look, for example, I'm just using the example of marriage. I mean, because it's everybody's favorite topic and everybody's eyes lights up when we talk about marriage and, you know, based upon reasoning and logic, don't say, oh, this guy is a good guy or this girl is a good girl. Oh, look at the manners that she's got. She's got, she's righteous, etc., 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 whatever it is. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6 will say, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. You see that? Don't, every decision has to be biblical, and it does not have to be logical. You know, there is reasoning, by the way. You know, Paul says he reasoned from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. There is reasoning. Doesn't mean that you accept it by without any reason. No, no, it's not. Faith is not unreasonable in that sense. So let us consider the outcome. What is the outcome of one choice? Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through how many men? One man. Sin entered into the world, death through sin, death passed spread to all men, all sin. One decision, the entire world is suffering. Can you imagine if, 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 uh, if Adam and Eve had that scopic vision? My one decision, my entire human race is going to be destroyed because of one decision of mine. You see, one decision will change your life. So be very careful. One choice. We're all making choices every day. And we're goofing up considerably. So the first choice that was made was made in the Garden of Eden. Okay, of course, I'm, I'm looking at it chronologically and I'm looking at different places in the Bible where I see this word choice. The second, second time I see the word choice, it occurs specifically in Genesis chapter 6. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the son of sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. How did they see? They saw. You see, they're all looking. Okay, they saw the daughters of men and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. They made a choice. I mean, uh, 
this 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 saying is mine this is original okay marriages are made in heaven but choices are made on earth okay that's exactly what we do even when you are exchanging vows what are you saying forsaking ah forsaking all others i have chosen you to be my wife till death do us part okay you have made a choice rejecting all the three and a half billion other gender okay like i, I remember um, one of my mathematics teacher when we was we were, we were doing the pledge no i pledge to the indian not in the the christian flag to the the, the indian india's pledge all indians are my brothers and sisters he would say vijay all indians are my brothers and sisters except one okay except one one choice only everybody else i have rejected and i have made one choice so you have made a choice we are made in heaven marriages are made in heaven they are actually made in heaven but we break them on earth you see very important this cho- this is one of the most significant things as to why i'll tell you why this is important you see when you take um, a glass of pure water okay and you take one drop of you know i was just just before i was i was coming to church i took a shower okay i took a shower in the church office and then i took the towel and i just started cleaning myself and a cockroach was sitting on the towel and i didn't see it and i started doing that and suddenly the cockroach went like that you know I, I, you know yuck you know, one of the things that i hate is cockroaches so i said okay my goodness what i just took a bath and just because i took my bath and i cleansed myself my cleansing is not going to make the cockroach clean the cockroach is going to make me unclean you see you take a glass of pure water and you drop one drop of garbage water the garbage water is not going to be cleansed because of the pure water the pure water is going to become terrible because of the garbage water you see this is this is the principle when you should really apply when you make a choice like this this is one of the most important choices you see what well, I'll, i'll show you in the bible okay this is judges chapter 3 verses 5 to 6 so the people of israel lived among the canaanites the hittites the amorites the perizzites and the hivites and the jebusites and their daughters they took themselves for wives and their own daughters they gave to their sons and they all served their yahweh whom did they serve their gods isn't it interesting they married israel married jebusite canaanite etc etc did all of them say hallelujah praise the lord no 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 they were saying ashtarath baal praise you they were falling flat on the faces before all these idols and one of the very interesting things that happens in nehemiah okay i'll show you this in nehemiah chapter 13 verses 23 to 29 actually 30 in those days also i saw the jews who had married women of ashdod ammon and moab very interesting and half of the children spoke the language of ashdod and they could not speak the language of judah it's not their people were singing our songs we were pe- singing their songs but only the language of the of each people and i confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair i mean this is what nehemiah did you know what ezra did when he heard that somebody intermarried you know what he did he broke down he put sackcloth on his head he pulled his beard he pulled his hair whereas nehemiah he slapped them and he pulled their hair and what it tells me is that we need two kinds of people in the church both have to be there one who pulls your hair and one who pulls his hair 
<laughs> that is what we call grace and truth. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Nehemiah was all grey. Oh, sorry, all truth. He said, nonsense, you fellows. Ezra was on the other hand, Lord, what are these people doing, Lord? And he puts sackcloth on his hair and he pulls his hair. And you know what happens? Everybody who intermarried stands, comes alongside him and they also begin to mourn. What it tells me is this, grace actually draws people to repentance, not truth. Okay, I'm just, just not only truth. That's just besides the point, but we are looking at something very interesting over here. He says, they pull their hair and he says, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. And, and why did he make a statement? Does he have a precedence? Does he have the Bible? Did he study the Bible? Did he study some kind of a biography which gave him a kind of a precedence? Absolutely. Look at what he says. Did not, who? Solomon, the king of Israel, sit on account of such women, sin on account of such women. Among many nations, there was no king like him. He was beloved by his God. God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign, made him, foreign women made him sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And he says, do you see what happened? Solomon didn't make them Israelites. They made Solomon into Baal worshippers and Ashdod worshippers and Ammon worshippers, whatever it is. Nehemiah does something even more interesting than that. You know, he just doesn't confront the situation. He confronts a deeper problem. You know what he says? He looks at somebody else. And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him. This is <laughs> Nehemiah. I mean, he got on his donkey and the son of the high priest is there. You know, Eliashib was high priest. The son of the high priest has married a Heathen and Nehemiah said, you know what? You fellow are making a bad precedence over here. I'm going to chase you out of Israel. And that fellow ran for his life. It's interesting. Therefore, you see, you need to understand. That is the reason why scripture says, carefully choose your leaders. Consider the outcome of their conduct and imitate their faith. And you have leaders who have absolutely compromised. You know what Nehemiah says? I will chase them. Especially this fellow is a high priest son. And if the high priest son is marrying somebody from the other, other religion, what will he say? See? Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from every foreign thing and I established the duties of the priests and the Levites each in his work and I provided for the food offering and at, uh, the food offering at appointed times and for the fruits, first fruits. Remember me, O God, for my good, for good. You see, you need to understand why this is such an important thing. Consider the outcome of a choice made in heaven. These were, these were sons of God were, were uh, spiritual beings and made a choice. What happened to them? Jude 1, we'll talk about this. Jude 1, chapter, Jude 1 and verse 6, actually only one chapter. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. You see that? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. I've seen a just today's article. You see that? Now you know what I'm talking about. Somebody already knows what I'm talking about. I don't even want to mention it. Everybody's saying, yuck! And one psychiatrist will come and give justification for that act. 
unbelievable pursued unnatural desire serve an, as an example undergoing a punishment of eternal fire what is what is what are you risking you're risking eternal fire i mean it's very interesting scripture is absolutely silent on solomon's eternal destiny manasseh repented for all the things that he has done but solomon we don't know So, for if these things are yours and abound, neither are barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. So, how do we gain long-sightedness or scopic vision? Now, look at another story, very familiar to all of us in the Bible. And choices being made and destinies being determined. It's found in Genesis chapter 13, verses 7 onwards. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please... Separate from me, if you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. There was strife. Okay, and then choices are being made. So what are the first lesson I make, I learn from here? Don't make any decisions when tempers and temperatures are high. Okay. You fight, what's up? I know, things that come out of couples' mouths. Divorce just, uh, uh. The worst decision I made in, uh, uh. Careful. Strife, temper. No, there's a movie called Temper. I mean, we have all kinds of movies in our uh, database these days. You name the negative character, we have a t- movie associated. And to make it positive. Don't make any decision when tempers and temperatures are high. No. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And Proverbs will put it very, very fantastically. What he says, he says, Proverbs chapter 22 verses 24 to 25. Do not make friends with hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself. You see that? See, you will not become, I mean, he's not going to become Shantamurti. You will also become angry. I've seen that in marriages also. One person, one spouse, one of the parties is a very angry person. Over a period of time, both become angry people. Very difficult. Don't make choices when you are angry. Okay, that's one of the, one of the, one of the counseling points that we get often as married couples. Whatever pastor says, Vijay. Uh, Never make a decision when you are angry. Let your decision. Never ever discipline in anger. I, mean, I learned that and the very that same day I went home and I said, I was so angry with one of the children and I said, I went to her, I'm very angry, I'm going to punish you later. So the late, later I went there, I said, I'm not punishing you, I'm disciplining you. Otherwise, in anger, it becomes punishment, not discipline. 
Very angry. Don't discipline in anger. So don't make decisions when tempers are hot. You know, it happens. And you will regret it for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. I learned. Second lesson. Look at this. Is not the whole land before you? This is what uh, uh, Abraham is saying, telling Lot. Please separate from me. Lesson two. Whenever a godly man says, please separate from me, check your heart. I can't work with you. Okay. For example, I mean, think about it. No, I'm just, just, not, just not a godly man. Let us say you have a professor in a university and you are a PhD student. It happened to me. So I can only give you examples. He calls me and he says, Vijay, I cannot work with you. Whenever somebody says like that, ask yourself this question, why did he say that? I mean, just extrapolate it to the context of our church. If Pastor James were to come, come and say, Vijay, please separate from me. Finished, gone, heart attack. Think about it. I mean, just think about those scenarios. Please don't come to my church. I mean, do you come to that place wherein, you know, you, people have to say those things to you? When a godly man says, please separate from me, check your heart. What's going on over here? What is going on? I learned this lesson. It's a very tough lesson. Because you know why many of us don't want to stay with godly men? Because they put boundaries. And they always keep asking you for accountability. And many of us don't like it. You see, that is the reason why we have this problem in many, many places. In, in homes, in churches, in office, office places, everywhere you have problems because we have to operate within boundaries. Like we heard during Srikha's wedding. Parameters which God has instituted within those things we need to function. Found this in Jude. Look at this. It's the word separate comes there, no? These be they who separate themselves. Sensual, not having the spirit. One of the things you need to understand, I told you, every decision is a spiritual decision. When a godly man says, please separate from me, or in other words, he's asking you to make a choice. Ask yourself this question. Am I more anointed than, than him? Do I have the Holy Spirit more than him? Consider, be very careful. These are the people who are sensual. Ask yourself, is this a sensual decision? Do, do you know this is a prompting of the Holy Spirit? Look at what happens. But ye beloved, build, up your, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You see that? Every choice ultimately leads you to life, eternal life. Now, this translation is a little, you know, what, is, what does it mean to keep yourselves in the love of God? I was listening to Corey Ten Boom the other day and she was reading from the J.B. Phillips as well as from the Living Bible. And the Living Bible puts it beautifully. Look at what the Living Bible says. The same passage. They stir up arguments. They love evil things of the world. They not. They do not have the Holy Spirit living in them. 
But you, dear friends, must build yourselves ever more strongly upon the foundation of our holy faith, learning to pray in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And this is the killer. What does it mean to keep yourselves in the love of God? Look at what it says. Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. That's amazing. Wait patiently for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy is going to give you. Stay within the boundaries where God's love can reach you. I'm telling you, you make a choice, you will forfeit the love of God. That's exactly what happened to Judas. He made a choice even at the last minute. He had, to, he had to make a choice. And it says, the moment he had made a choice and he took part of the communion and what happened? Who entered into him? Satan entered into him. And afterwards, there was no turning back. He could not, he came out of the boundaries where God's love could reach him. You see, choices have eternal consequences. Be very careful of the choices that you make, my dear brothers and sisters. I mean, we know this very famous verse in the Bible from Jonah, right? Jonah chapter 2 verse 8. I looked at different translations to get what is happening over here. No, get a, a, a much richer picture. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Okay? Another translation. Those who worship false gods, gods turn their backs on how many of God's mercies? All of God's mercies. Another translation, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. They lose their hope. You you see, if hope is gone, everything is gone. Another translation, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. The King James, those who cling to worthless idols forsake his loving devotion to you. He's actually devoted to you. Another translation, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. The new American Standard Bible. Another, another, those who cling to vain idols leave behind the gracious love that could have been theirs. Oh my goodness. You see, when Lot was making a choice, he was actually doing all these things. May the Lord give us vision. Are there boundaries that your parents have set for you? Are there boundaries in the church and you're fretting about them? Are there boundaries in your school that you're constantly asking, why are there so many boundaries? You have no idea the number of blessings which are hidden, which you can't see, that you're actually taking part of. You need to understand that. The countless number of innumerable blessings, countless innumerable blessings, because of the boundaries, because of accountability. So whenever a man of God says, please separate yourself from me. My God. And I saw this even in our own church. I don't want to name names. It happened over a period of time, right from 10 years back. Oh my God. Right from the time our church started. A church started based upon decisions of people. They were making choices. Hmm. So, please separate from me. Then he says, when you take the left, I will go to the right. Okay, What does that mean? 
Let me tell you something, another principle. Okay. Lesson three. Take counsel from godly anointed men and join yourself to them. Counsel from godly anointed men. In other words, ask God to give you the discernment to recognize anointing over leaders. You see, there were prophets during Elijah and Elisha. Okay? Everybody knew that Elijah was a prophet, but only if, and he's going to be taken away, but only a few were after his anointing. Only, actually only one was after his anointing. Okay? And you know what Elisha would say? I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to cling to you. Clinging to Elijah is not an easy thing. You know it, right? One of the most moodiest prophets in the entire Old Testament. Okay? Clinging to that man and just submitting to his leadership and authority. Oh my God, it would have been a test. Not for one year. Some theologians say for 18 years he followed Elijah. But I want to look at something, you know, very interesting. When do you join yourself to people and how do you recognize their anointing? You know, often, most of the times, whenever you're joining yourself to a leader, I, I've seen this in my own life, what happens is that you, they don't have much to show for themselves. It's like, you know, Jesus, uh, I will follow you wherever you go. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. The scribe came. Nothing to show. Okay. And then another guy comes. Please let me say tata bye bye to mommy papa. Nothing to show. There's not, and most of the time, an anointed man will have nothing to show. Nothing to give you guarantee. No guarantees. No guarantees. I'm, I'm honestly telling you, when I joined this church, I was not after anything that I can get from the church. I did not join because I was getting something. Nothing to show. There's a very interesting passage in First Chronicles. This is David. He's running for his life from Saul. Remember that story? Running for his life from Saul. And many people joined themselves with David. Remember? All the people who had problems and uh, debts and everything. You know, like-minded, like, not like-minded, like problematic people. They all came together and they became a band of soldiers. But there is one set of people who were supposed to be enemies of David. They expressed their interest to join David. And what they see in David. And who are these people? Let me show you. This is found in First Chronicles chapter 12. And some of the men of who? Which tribe? And Saul belongs to which tribe? Ah! Huh? Some of the men of Benjamin and Judah came to the stronghold of David. David went out to meet them and said to them, if you have come to me in friendship to help me, my heart will be joined to you. But if you betray me to my adversaries, although there is no wrong in my hands, they may then may the God of our fathers seek and rebuke you. And then what happens? There's one man from the tribe of Benjamin who raises up. The spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he makes a very interesting statement. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Amasai. I like that word. Clothed Amasai. Chief of the 30. And he said, we are yours, O David. And with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you. And peace to your helpers for your, for your God helps you. Does, does David have anything to show? No. Only as a fugitive. But did he join himself with him? Absolutely. 
And it is very easy to join a church when everything is going very well. Very difficult to join a church when they have nothing to show. It's very interesting. Our church doesn't even have a baptism tank of our own. See? Honestly speaking, what have we to show ourselves except the word and the anointing? That is the reason why when Jesus was looking at all the disciples and the teaching became tough. Many disciples knew, you know, they were not getting getting anything out of this. You know what they said? This is a hard teaching. Who can bear it? And they were leaving. And they looked at the other disciples and they said, do you also want to leave? Peter said, where shall we go, Lord? You You and you alone have the words of life. Jesus had anything to show? Nothing. Ask yourself this question. Do you really join yourself and they have nothing to show? You know, for a while people will come and you know, they say, Are, nothing is happening over here. <laughs> I know that. Slowly they are Satak Sitaram. And, and you know what happened? Then David received them and made them officers of his troops. Okay, so join yourself with godly anointed people and come under their authority and leadership. Okay, the next one. And Lord lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't isn't it interesting? Lord lifted up his eyes and saw the plains of Jordan, uh, of plain of Jordan and was, and, and was well watered everywhere. You know, uh, the New Living Translation says, you know, Lord look, took a good look at the Jordan River. He took, a, took out a telescope. He just looked at all the garden like that and he said, okay, you know what? It's very interesting, the parenthesis, right? Before the Lord destroyed Sodom. That means what? God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he is looking at a place where God is going to destroy. And what does he say? Oh, it is like the garden of the Lord. That is how he sees it. How is it? It is like the garden of the Lord and immediately the Bible corrects it. Ah, 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 ah. He says, it is like the land of Egypt. Not all Egypt, a specific place in Egypt. What is a specific place as you go towards? Zohar. What does the word Zohar mean? Insignificant. Isn't it interesting? That's the word Zohar. Zohar. That's that's exactly the word Soar. So what is he doing? He took his telescope and he looked at the entire valley like that and it looked very green. And he said, Baba, this is like Eden. And God says, it is like Egypt, not exactly like Egypt. There is a specific place in Egypt called Soar. It is like that. Insignificant place. Okay, what is the lesson that I learned? Every worthless thing will look like the will of God the garden of God. You know, it's amazing. Every worthless thing will look like the will of God. And exactly what happens when you make a choice, exactly what happened even to Abraham. Sarah is not having children. Option, plan B, Hagar, immediately conceived. Will of God. You see, Every worthless thing will look like the will of God. But as I said, every decision is what kind of a decision? 
It's a spiritual decision. But look at what happens now. He's going to make a choice. He saw, he had a good look at the entire place and the landscape. It is looking like the Garden of Eden, but God said it's like Egypt and like a specific place in Egypt, an insignificant place in Egypt. And this is what he does. And it's very, 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 very graphic. This is choices are being made now. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed is that is what is very significant right when the israelites were supposed to enter into the tabernacle what they were supposed to do the door of the tabernacle was facing the east they were supposed to turn their backs on the gods of the east and they were supposed to enter into the tabernacle to worship god significantly telling, you know, I have made a spiritual choice. I have rejected all the gods of this world and I have chosen the God of Israel alone. Now, This man is making a choice and instead of turning to his back toward east, he is going into the east. Isn't that significant? Amazing. Oh, every decision, I tell you, is a spiritual decision. And therefore, any man who goes away from the boundaries where God's love can reach you, you know what he's doing? He's actually forsaking his own mercy. And whenever you do not choose God, you choose the world. And you're not only choosing the world, you're also choosing the God of the world. You're choosing the ways of the East. That is the reason why Isaiah says, you know, my people are like the Philistines of the East. They are soothsayers. They are diviners. They have learned the ways of the East instead of turning their backs towards the gods of the East. And you know, that is exactly what happened to Lot. You know, I, I'm looking at it and I said, boy, he didn't even realize that. That he's turning his back towards the God. And most of us, when we do that, when we go outside the boundaries where God's love can reach us, you know what we're doing? We're saying, Lord, we don't want, we have had enough of you. I'm turning my back. I'm turning my back. How do we come back, therefore? You know, there's no guarantee that you can come back. You see, it says, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Meaning, let me tell you something. Do not give yourselves opportunities to sin. Okay. Don't choose for yourselves places where you will have to compromise on your convictions. I remember some time back, long time back, you know, one elderly officer you know, was asking uh, a guy, uh, guy, where do you want to get your posting? Uh, that guy looked at the officer. Sir, do I have a choice? He said, yeah. Sir, I want uh, that place. He named the specific place. And the officer looked at him and he gave him a smile. I know why you're going there. I know why you're going there. You see, the choices that, that you make are revealing of the, the depths of our covetousness in our own heart, you see. And then and the and officer looked at him and said, okay, fine, I'll give you. But let me tell you something. This choice that you're going to make right now is going to determine your 
future and you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. And let me tell you something, over a period of time, that fellow got into a mess and destroyed his life. Very careful. To make choices. Either you're turning toward God or you're turning your back to God. You see, that's what exactly we learned from Lot. And I, I wanted to continue, but I'll stop here today. You see, most of us are making choices and we don't realize that our choices are making us. What happened to Lot? Could he see his children? Could he see his wife? Could he see the end result of his wife? Could he see the end result of his children, of his daughters? Could he see the end result of Ammon and Moab, what they will become? They will become a thorn in the flesh of Israel. What happened? Short-sighted, turning his back toward God and choosing the God of this world. But he's called a righteous man. That's interesting. You see? How can you be a righteous man? Let me do something. Every called man is a righteous man. Many are called, few are chosen, but few will remain faithful till the end. You see? Many of us are making choices. And this new beginning, 1st August, August 1st of the 8th month, all, all of you made a choice to be in the house of the Lord. And most of you, symbolically and spiritually, you know what you did? You turned your back toward the God of this world and you chose the God of this universe whenever you entered into the sanctuary. You said, you know what? You made a decision to choose God. That's the first step. Follow it up with several other steps. I'm telling you, one of the most important things in our lives is accountability. You see, coming under those boundaries, the parameters that have been set so that we can grow in trust. We should never have success before our time. Never. That's exactly what Lot was after. Success before his time. Never have success before your time. Whenever you make a decision to go out, I mean, some young people used to come and say, I want to go abroad to study and I want to go to the US or whatever. No, I ask them this question. Do you have the spiritual strength to withstand the temptations that you will be faced with when you go to those places? Do you have the tenacity in your spirit? Do you know it's going to be, you think it's going to be easy when you have no overseer or ruler over you that you will make choices based upon the will of God. Be very sure that you, that you have that kind of a spiritual strength and character so that when you're making those decisions, it will not affect your spiritual destiny. Because I know so many people who've gone, you know, when they, they went for success before their time, messed up their lives. You know it. You know it when you go abroad, the kind of temptations that you will be faced with. I was in Canada and I'm, I, I, I'll tell you something. When I saw Canada in the US, I found US more conservative than Canada. And I cannot walk in the streets of Montreal. I'm looking at the decision that I made, okay? I cannot walk in the streets of Montreal downtown with my two children. I cannot. I cannot do that. It's impossible not to fall in your sight, in the way you think, the things that you'll see. It's impossible. 
And I, I imagine after now it's hindsight, right? 2020 hindsight. If I would have had Abigail in you in Canada and I'm walking her down, downtown Montreal and he would say, Papa, what is that? I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be embarrassed. So sometimes you don't know. When God shuts some several doors and puts you in place where you have to, you know, everything looks so strict and all pabandis are there over you. Why these pabandis? You don't realize. You know what, what is happening? You are within the boundaries where God's love can reach you. Are you able to see that? This evening, just let's pray and ask God for the grace to have a scopic vision and not myopic. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father. We praise you for this time that you blessed us with. So many of us have made choices and some of us have made some, all of us, Lord, we have made some idiotic choices, Lord, stupid choices. And because of that, we have We have the consequences of our actions even in our own lives. Father, enable us not to make those same things. Enable us to learn from your word, from the lives of all the men and women of the Bible. Both the choices that led to life and the choices that led to death. And give us the wisdom and the humility to learn from them and apply it in our lives. Father, we know, Father, We make the choices and ultimately the choices will make us. Father, I pray that you will grant us the grace to make the right choice. Choice based upon faith and not on sight. Help us through this month and the rest of the year. Father, seven months are over. Father, five more months of this year left. And you said, Lord, this year for our church will be the year of destiny. And Lord, it is not going to become auto, it is not, it's not going to be automatic. You're, you're going to ask us to make choices and some of them, some of those choices will be tough choices, oh Lord. Will be painful choices. Choices where we, wherein we'll have to compromise between our career or, or our family. Spiritual destinies will be set, oh Lord, based upon those choices. And I pray, Lord, every one of us here, and all of us who will hear this word will have the grace and the humility to make the choice according to your will and to stay ourselves and keep ourselves in the boundaries where God's love can reach us. Grant us grace to that and we pray. Commit us, commit ourselves and the rest of the month into your hands, O oh Lord, even as your children go about the rest of the week. I pray, Lord, that we will not Lose this word, O oh Lord Father. It will not allow the birds of the air to steal the word that is sown in our hearts. But Lord, that we will be conscious whenever we are making choices, O oh Lord Father. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.